This is LaQuest, a podcast from California's Assembly Democrats. Hi, everybody. I'm Don Andrews with Look West. On this episode, we're talking trash. Well, kind of. We're talking about single-use plastics, and that makes up a pretty good portion of the trash pipeline. Uh, with me today is Assemblymember Luz Rivas, her chief of staff, Matthew Montgomery, and principal consultant from the Natural Resources Committee, Elizabeth McMillan. Uh, hi, everybody. Hello. Hi, Don. Thanks for being here. Appreciate you being part of this episode. Assemblymember, if we could start, you know, years of trying, the legislature passed a bill this year, uh, SB 54, dealing with single-use plastics. But if I understand things correctly here, it was the amendments that you brought to the table that made a big difference about getting it over the finish line. And I want to talk about how you managed to get it over the finish line. But if you don't mind, for those who aren't as familiar with the subject matter as all of you are, uh, can you tell us a little bit about what SB 54 is and what does it do? Sure. First, thank you, Don, for um, having us on this podcast today um, to discuss SB 54. Uh, you know, the overall goal of SB 54 is to reduce single-use plastic packaging and foodware. Uh, you know, plastic is everywhere in our environment. It harms a lot of, you know, waterways in the state of California. Uh, you know you know, it's become a big issue, a big problem. And um, this law is a culmination of years of work led by Senator Allen and others, you know, there's stakeholders, advocates, so many people involved to get a big bill like this passed, um, including our assembly team that's here today. Does this legislation make a giant leap forward or is it more of an incremental step in the battle against single-use plastics? I... I think it's a big leap. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it's not going to happen in six months, right? I mean, like anything, uh, it, you know, things take years, um, but um, it really is the strongest plastic reduction bill that has ever been passed, I think, in the nation. Um, and, you know, in California, we like to think that we lead on environmental uh, bills or environmental laws. And I think this showed this was another success for California um, because now other states are looking at this um, as, as a model and we'll be looking at its implementation too to see um, does this work, right? And, and is it reducing uh, single-use plastic packaging? Is there a particular part of this that was top priority for you to make sure was included into this uh, piece of legislation? Yes, uh, you know, I took a, an environmental justice lens, right? When I reviewed uh, this legislation, uh, you know, the Senator Allen and his team had sent over something to us um, and said, this was it, this was the deal that was made. Um, I thought it's a deal, not the deal, because, you know, the Assembly Natural Resources Committee plays a big role um, and without our input, right, this wouldn't have made it across the finish line. Uh, and so we looked at it very carefully, you know, thanks to Elizabeth, our consultant on the committee, um, and my chief of staff was involved too, Matthew, that's on this podcast with us. And, you know, is this, you know, there were a lot of concerns from environmental justice advocates on what recycling plastic means, right? You know, can we go out there and burn it 
and that counts, right? It, it's like, that's not what we want, especially in California. Um, and so, you know, there's these advanced recycling methods that that's what they call them. Um, and there were, there was a lot of concern that we would be allowing that in, in the state of California. Uh, and so that's one of the major um, issues that we looked at. And let's let's bring in Matthew uh, Montgomery, your chief of staff, and Elizabeth now as well to talk a little bit about these conversations that led up to the final product here. Uh, Matt, if I could start with you, can you? It sounds to me like there were enough people involved that these negotiations, this process, might have been a bit tense. Well, you know, I think when you're talking policy of this scope um, that has been, you know, working its way through the legislature for as long as it has. Um, you're always going to have contentious policy. Um, you know, when you have, um, you know, I think the important part of this um, solution to 54 that was developed is that, you know, we have so many people with um, expertise on this issue, including, you know, um, staff in the speaker shop, um, you know, uh, Elizabeth as well, um, that have such a background on the policy that that's really important to have that type of, you know, um, backstop. Um, and, um, it is going to be controversial, um, but you know, I think when we're trying to work policy issues like this, we're kind of looking at it from a lens of trying to find that overlapping circle of commonality, right? Um, you have uh, different groups with different positions, and what is you know what are those issues that you know in that overlapping circle that we can try and identify and and take on, and that I think was an important first step to how we started working to address AB 54 once it came to uh, the assembly. Elizabeth, did you feel that this was a standard run of the game or was this a, a more advanced version of negotiating for legislation that you've gotten to witness here? Uh, I would say this was an extraordinary effort. Um, definitely uh, more complicated and I wouldn't say more. I wouldn't say more contentious. It was more complicated. The timeline was very tight. Um, I do think, unlike some bills, everybody's goal on this bill was to get it over the finish line. You know, there wasn't a strong coalition of folks trying to get this bill killed. Um, you know, producers came to the table. We had. I mean, everyone was working towards. Let's try to get this through. So it was just a matter of working out the details. So in that way, I think it was also a little bit different than a lot of bills that we see. Matt, who, who were all the players here? Can you talk to us a little about who all was in the room and uh, involved, I should say, maybe not in a specific room all at the same time, but involved in putting this thing together? We had everybody, you know, from the Cal Chamber to, you know, um, environmental justice organizations, Ocean Conservancy, you know, Monterey Bay Aquarium, um, National Stewardship Action Council. I mean, there, you know, Anybody who touched on a uh, resources issue um, from a plastics um, standpoint um, was at the table on this discussion. We had business um, in the same room, right? Um, they were working towards a solution. Um, we had EJ, uh, the EJ community um, that was in the room working towards a solution. Um, but for the most part, everybody was um, on this bill was rowing in the same direction. What was different this year where they all decided it was time to, as Elizabeth mentioned, get it over the finish line? Well, there, one thing we haven't mentioned that's um, big, and like you said, what's different, uh, is that there was an initiative on the November ballot, an initiative that had qualified um, for this November, 
right? And, and a lot of times advocates, when they get frustrated or something is not happening, happening in the legislature, um, like in, you know, over the years, you know, there had been several attempts to pass a bill like this. Um, and they just went ahead and went through the ballot initiative process and it qualified for this November ballot, right? And so that was there and, and there is a deadline uh, to remove um, ballot initiatives in California. I believe it was June 30th. June 30th is the deadline. Um, so we had a deadline. If we didn't want this to get to the ballot and instead have a legislative solution, we had to take action, which meant the governor had to sign this bill by June 30th. And therefore, uh, there were three signatories uh, that had put this on the ballot and they represent, you know, environmental organizations uh, that it was their decision whether they pull this off the ballot or not, right? It's now ours. Uh, and they wanted to make sure that if there is a legislative solution, that it, it would be a strong environmental bill, right? And not watered down in any way or um, catered to a particular industry, anything like that. Um, and so that was the deadline we were working towards. There has to be something that passes both houses, get signed by the governor by June 30th, in order for these three uh, people to consider removing this off the November ballot. And, and they did so. And they did, yes. That, that was challenging in itself. Um, I was communicating um, with, with them, so was you know, Senator um, Ben Allen, um, but for me, all the calls I received from them were making sure uh, that some of what they wanted to see to make this stronger was in the bill. Right? And so that's, that's what we were working towards, a, a solution uh, that would result in them pulling this off, but that also was good policy, right, and, and involved everyone's input. A dual track success, if you will. Not only did you produce a piece of legislation that's going to do the job, but on top of that, we avoid an initiative ballot fight? Yes. You know, all the money that would be spent towards that, um, none of us want to see that. Um, I personally felt, uh, you know, that this is our, as legislators, this is our job, right? You know, we get elected, uh, you know, to do what's right and and to you know, pass bills and or author bills uh, that will solve these issues. Um, we can't leave everything to the voters and just push everything out. That's hard. Uh, and so, the, I was personally interested in making sure there was an agreement and that something that the governor would sign to. It's been said by others far wiser than I that legislation by by way of the initiative is not the right way to do the job. That in general, the rule should be, the legislature should be taking care of these complicated issues, not turning it into a 12 second soundbite in a ballot initiative commercial. Is that a fair assessment? I mean, in this case, I believe so. Um, I believe my constituents elected me um, and you know all of us that are in the legislature um, to, to make these tough decisions, to work towards a solution um, and not just give up and say, okay, we'll just put it on the ballot or have someone, other outside groups. But I understand why uh, the ballot signatories put this on the ballot. They were frustrated with 
the years uh, that, you know, we tried and it didn't work. And they've had it, right? Because they really care about reducing single-use plastic in, in our environment. I wonder if you can give me a context as to how big of an issue single-use plastics are. I don't know, Elizabeth, maybe this is for you, but all three of you are welcome to chime in. Um, how big of a deal is single-use plastics in the context of the larger trash problem that we have here? Um, from my perspective, I believe, I mean, I've been working on this issue for um, a long time now, um, about 20 years. Um, I, I view the plastics crisis as sort of the next climate change issue. Like it is really, really significant because plastic doesn't go away. It just breaks down into smaller and smaller pieces and becomes microplastic. So all of the plastic we're generating essentially never goes away. Um, and we're finding microplastics in drinking water. It's in household dust. It's being found like little plastic particles are being found on the tops of, you know, mountains in snow. Um, you know, we're ingesting it, we're breathing it, and we don't know what those impacts are going to be in the long term. I mean, aside from the, you know, number of impacts that it has on the marine environment and to wildlife, um, we don't know what it's doing to our health. So I think it's really important for us to get a handle on how much plastic we're producing. And the food portion of this, the packaging and, and for restaurant takeout, uh, is a big portion of this plastics that we're putting out, I guess. Yeah, it is it's a significant amount. And it's a lot of, um, it makes up a large percentage of litter because, you know, when you take your food to go and you eat it in the car or whatever, it's more likely to be littered than, you know, if you take some, if you have something at home, you buy it at the grocery store, you take it home, you eat it at home, it's going to get into the garbage can. And at least if it stays in the waste stream, you know, that material, we know where it's going. We know that it's, you know, being properly managed. It's still not great to be putting it in a landfill, um, but it's certainly better than if it gets into the environment. So we have a big problem. You guys found a deadline coming at you. Uh, you came up with a solution. Just how does this legislation get the plastics out of the waste stream? So the bill is structured um, as a as a product stewardship program or as a um, expanded product stewardship program, which is generally referred to as a EPR, um, producer responsibility. Um, so it requires the industry itself, which is one of the reasons that the industry preferred and came to the table um, on the bill, as opposed to the initiative, which was just direct regulation, requires the industry to work together, form an organization, and figure out how to meet the goals of the bill as the producers. Um, so the bill requires, by 2032, it has like stepped up percentages, but by 2032, that 65% of packaging material and plastic foodware to be recyclable. and um, or recycled, and what that means is very clearly defined in the bill is actually turned into a new product um, or to new materials. Mm -hmm. um, as the chair mentioned earlier in the podcast, you know, we're not, the bill was written and one of the things that we worked really hard to do, this committee worked really hard to do is to ensure that even material that is exported, we can track where it's going and we know what's happening to it. Because right now, a lot of the material that we claim as recycled is getting sent overseas and realistically, we don't know what's happening to it. So. Um, the bill has verification requirements, reporting requirements that CalRecycle can use to figure out where the material is going. Um, and it also has, and one of the things that I think is really key about this bill is that it has a 25% source reduction requirement. So it actually requires producers to generate 25% less plastic, um, which is a one of the things that makes this so groundbreaking and so different from the other plastic policies that we've seen. 
Uh, Matt, I'm going to come back at you here for a minute and, and traverse back towards the process that we went through to get this done. Um, you talked a little about who was in the room, and it is a controversial or complex issue. Was there a tipping point in the conversations where you felt that, hey, we're going to make it? Um, as the assemblywoman indicated, um, for the signers to pull the initiative, they wanted something that was stronger than what they had proposed. And so, you know, to your question, um, I think, you know, the assemblywoman had a moment um, where, you know, it's either we move forward with what was brought to us as a deal. And, you know, with that, do you abandon, you know, an environmental justice community or do you stand strong? And, you know, I'm proud to say I work for a member who stands strong and said, you know, this bill is not going to move unless we address these environmental justice concerns. And I think when that flagpole was planted, um, you know, the question was then how do we address that? Um, so I think that that was the mechanism that really, you know, became the most pivotal factor um, for making this bill be successful. Assembly member, were you optimistic that this was going to happen? You planted the flag. You said, we're going to get this done. Here was the tipping point Matt just described. Were you optimistic at that well, time? Or I will admit <laughs> that initially I didn't want to hear the bill um, as it was brought to us from the Senate. And I called Senator Allen one morning and said, this isn't going to work. Um, I don't think we have enough time uh, to work towards what I would like to see or what, you know, other environmental organizations would like to see. Or I also believe that maybe we wouldn't get to a compromise of any sort in, in the few days, right? It, it was just a very short timeline um, for, for this. Um, and, you know, he came over to my office and met with me in person for a couple hours, trying to convince me um, I discussed with him, you know, what um, I didn't like about it and what I would like to see. And then he said, send me over what you want. And so we did that, you know, with the team here, uh, we sent a couple bullet points of what would need to be changed in order for a hearing to take place in the Natural Resources Committee. Um, and so I think we had, and we weren't trying to prove anything I don't think we were like, you know, they have to do what I say. It was, if we're going to do this, we want it to be the right bill, the right policy. Yeah, and there were just a few, sorry, I'm gonna cut you off. No, go ahead. There were go just ahead. a few a few things that we've, you know, we've learned from prior EPR programs that have struggled and um, yeah, listening to the environmental justice community and also working with the administration, you know, had some remaining concerns. And so we, we really, felt that there were, um, I think there were sort of four major things that we really felt like we needed to address in the bill. And the bill came to us a very comprehensive bill. Um, you know, Senator Allen and, and the stakeholder group that he had been working with, they had put together a very comprehensive bill, but there were just a few really key things that, that we felt and the chair felt that we needed to have included. And so once we sent those over, then that's when, you know, the negotiations back and forth began. That's when I realized, oh wait, this this is going to happen. Now, what was what was that like? Was it intense? <laughs> For me, it was. Um, I think this is all I worked on 
um, during that time. And the hearing, I believe, was on a Tuesday morning for the bill, and we had to vote for this by Thursday. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, we had, the bill was amended. The, the author amended the bill on June 16th, and we heard the bill on June 28th. So we had very little time. And they were, and you know, it was a big bill. It was like a 70 plus page bill. And, you know, while they were a few bullet points, they were big, complicated yes. bullet points that had to be, you know, worked into all of the other components of the bill. Yeah, it was an intense, it was a lot of work. It was very <laughs> intense, especially for Elizabeth, right? Because once we agreed, you know, on the, like I said, those issues, those bullet points, then we need to make sure that what gets into the bill does reflect or does do what those, what we intended them to do. Got to ask, time was tight. You were all working extremely hard. Sometimes people get a little bit tired. The three of you were in the room where it happened, as Hamilton might say. Was there any yelling? Uh, I think people get very passionate and, and you know, with such a tight deadline, um, the last few days were intense because we were submitting language, um, or the team was, and sometimes people were like, oh, they forgot this word or this number is off or whatever, right? And, you know, I would get calls, I guess, from the members involved, you know, the, the senators, like, this is not, we would start yelling at each other, but not arguing, Um just like, you have to do this. No, you have to do this. And, you know, we, we would do that. Uh, but by then we already agreed that we wanted this to happen. And, and so that's my experience. And I can, I can say on a, on a staff level that, you know, from my experience, uh, Senator Allen and his team, they consummate professionals, you know, I think they did the best they could and they brought in an impeccable bill over to the assembly, um, but with that, you know, one of the things that, you know, I always tell my team here is, you know, pressure burst pipes, but it also makes diamonds, right? And I think that this bill is a, a prime example of that. Um, we, we all felt the pressure from this. Our teams felt the pressure from this. I mean, I had about 12 days where I couldn't answer any emails, right? So my legislative director, um, Judy E, stepped in and like just took control of a lot of stuff. Um, I know Elizabeth mentioned like she had to shed a lot of her bills uh, to some of her colleagues so she could focus on this. So this really was, you know, a collective team effort um, where so many people were involved in the solution to get it across the finish line. Excellent. Uh, Got to ask this question, which we put into each and every episode. This is called the Look West podcast. And the reason why this was named Look West is because in theory anyway, and it certainly in practice in many circumstances, the rest of the country looks west to California as a leader on a specific issue. Is California leading in this issue? Should other states look west in order to mimic what we've managed to accomplish here? Assembly member? Definitely. Of course, I think that. <laughs> I feel like I have to say yes. Um, but no, I, I truly believe that. This is a groundbreaking uh, law, legislation um, that California passed and that other states will be looking at, I believe, even at the federal level. You know, since we're requiring producers to reduce the amount of plastic uh, that they're creating or producing, uh, it will 
affect other states, right? They're not just going to have this is what we do for California and then what we do for Nevada. You know, that's not how manufacturing works, right? And so if they're able um, to follow um, what is in this bill, what's, uh, then, you know, they will produce less plastic for all of the country. Look West thanks Assemblymember Luz Rivas, her Chief of Staff Matthew Montgomery, and the Chief Consultant from the Natural Resources Committee Elizabeth McMillan for being part of this episode of the Look West Podcast. I'm Don Andrews. Thanks very much for listening. The Look West Podcast is produced by California Assembly Democrats. When you think of Californian politics, remember to look west. <laughs>